0: I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio versus the Martians. This month's single serving selection Hudson Hawk.
1: So Casey, yeah, Mike. I have a little bit of a confession to make. Okay, wait, wait,
0: stop! You're embarrassing our country, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I might be. Yes.
1: I welcome that, but I think I might love this movie. Oh, I oh yes, yes. It's it is it's almost love it for it's love at first frame. I think we are, of course, talking about. Hudson Hawk from the year 1991, directed by Michael Lehman, director of Heathers, Airheads, The Truth About Cats and Dogs, 40 Days and 40 Nights, from a screenplay co-written by Daniel Walters, the writer of Heathers, The Adventures of Four Faired Lane, Batman Returns, and Demolition Man, with his co-writer... His Holiness, Mr. Stephen E. D'Souza, the writer of Commando, Die Hard, The Running Man, 48 Hours, Street Fighter, and Judge Dredd. Oh boy, what a fucking tag team. (laughs) Casey, if you had to sum up what this movie was about in like a paragraph or two, (sighs) what is Hudson Hawk all about? Hudson Hawk is about the search for Leonardo da Vinci's
0: alchemy machine that can turn lead into gold filtered through Bruce Willis, Hudson Hawk, the world's greatest cat burglar, trying to recover 3 of 3 these three pieces from a gaggle of gangsters, con men, international rogues, uh, spy agencies to try to get their hands on this before they can be sold to the highest bidder.
1: That's about it. This movie is Pretty fucking bonkers, <laughs> and uh, we are going to be talking about today with longtime friend of the show, the co-host of the dearly departed View from the Gutters comic book podcast, and I would say official Hudson Hawk aficionado <laughs> and <laughs> yes. super fan, Mister Joe Preddy. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show. I
2: am over joy to be i this movie is one of my favorite movies of all time i love this movie dearly i've seen it i'm this may be uh uh, this is probably my top three most watched movies of all time but you can see
0: though joe why critics at the time absolutely at the time we're just like this is garbage Garbage. this is having it this is a step down for bruce willis this is oh this is silly this is cartoonish this is goofy this is Bruce then, Willis's
1: last action hero in a lot of ways, right?
2: Right. It, I so the this. Bruno. Okay, so we're we're just gonna launch into this because this story is <laughs> fucking insane, right? So Bruce Willis, who um, did not really was did not start in acting young, right? It wasn't until he was on a show called Moonlighting with mm-hmm. Civil Shepherd, and that kind of blew him up, and then he made a movie called Blind Date. Which is a decent movie. I've seen it. It's funny. Uh, And then he made a little movie that you might have heard of called Die Hard, which Mm -hmm. became the biggest fucking thing ever, right? So back in the day, he was working in New York, and he did bartending gigs, and then sometimes he would sing. And one day, he's working in this bar. Now I've I've kind of cobbled this together from a few internet sources. I may get details wrong, so forgive me if I do. Um, I'm not on Twitter anymore, so you can't at me. But you don't. <laughs> just so don't essentially, try. <laughs> he came in. Uh, he was working one day, and this guy came in to play with his band. And Bruno, right, Bruce Willis, really liked this band, and he started talking to the lead singer, and they kind of hit it off. And they would do this band would do this song about the the wind that would come in off the chicago river which they called the hawk because of the way it would kind of screech through the city and so between them they kind of they they hit it out like bruce would sing with them sometimes they just became they formed this really close friendship and they kind of made this whole mythology about this cat burglar in New York, and they gave him the name of this wind, right? But he was the Hudson Hawk because the Hudson River is the river in New York City, right? And so um they kind of they built this whole thing. They would write songs about him, and they would perform these songs. And they promised each other that if any either one of them ever got big enough, that they would make this movie. That they would like make this movie mythologizing this this Hudson Hawk, right? And so what this is kind of what's insane to me is that he did it. Like Bruce Willis kept his promise, right? Like he made, he became one of the biggest, if not the biggest bankable star in the world. And he makes this movie, which is a cartoon. It is absolutely a cartoon. But it is fantastic because it is a vanity project that is... Unlike most other vanity projects, because all of these vanity projects are so self-serious. If you look at something like more recently Black Adam, or even if you look at The Expendables, they're so self-serious. They're so grimdark. They're so like, oh, we gotta
1: redeem ourselves. <laughs> and it's
2: like, well, nobody gives a shit about that, Sly, right? Like, you know, this isn't Rambo, right? This is like, we, you know, like you're, you're not giving us what we want here. And of course, we following the Stallone formula we had to wait for The Expendables 2, which is the movie that The Expendables 1 should have been. Okay, sure. Hudson Hawk is The Expendables 2. It's just this, like, big bonkers, over-the-top movie with some incredible performances in it. Right. And, um... I just think it's fantastic. And I think his buddy is the guy that co wrote it with him, like our co executive produced oh, yeah, the, it with him, Robert. Got the
0: story credit, right? There's, yes, then, yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's
2: why. And he's but like a big executive is, at it Sony is Music. awesome. Or something. It's
0: awesome when you think about it this way. Story credit by Bruce Willis and his friend. And then you just bring, you don't bring in hack writers. No. You bring in two Hollywood writers who are known for this, like, larger than life, utterly ridiculous, like, these are the big movies that we're going to end up making. Um, Layman is interesting. I think I, I like Airheads a lot better than this movie. I'm sorry if I'm offending no, you or whatever. I mean, I think the Airheads table's is, about to flip. N- I, think, I, I think Airheads, Airheads is really fucking funny. I think works a lot better than Airheads. <laughs> um, you also have this is this this made me flip my lid when I saw it. You had Dante Spinotti, one of the greatest cinematographer Italian cinematographers of all time, is the cinematographer for this goofy ass movie. I was like, it's amazing, and the it's shot beautifully. Amazing. It's got some yeah.
2: incredible cinematography in it, and that's what fucking blows my mind about this is that if you describe this movie, if I describe that story to you, and then describe to you the movie. You would be like, oh, this sounds like garbage. But then I would say, well, it's got Bruce Willis in it, and at his, like, most, he is never more charming right. than this right. era. And then it's got Danny Aiello, yeah. and Andy McDowell, and Richard E. Grant, and Sondra Bernard, right. James, and Coburn. James Coburn, Coburn playing a character, <laughs> uh-huh. George Kaplan, which is the name of the, the secret agent
0: that they mistake Cary Grant for in North by Northwest. Right, right. Right? Like, so that's one thing that I wanted to ask is. First, uh, when i before i saw the movie and i saw it on the rental shelves i had mistakenly conflated howard hawks and hudson hawk so howard hawks is classics uh, you know he's the, the inventor of the screwball comedy right. he also did lots of noir films so he's kind of someone who uh, whose sort of movie uh, dna of hudson hawk comes for a lot from that era from that, from the sort of first half of the 20th century sort of thing. And I, it's interesting that there's a completely different explanation for Hudson and Hawk and having those two right, things come together. Right. But I always thought Howard Hawks, um, and it seems like they're so similar. It seems like there's so much DNA in there.
2: I mean, there's definitely elements of screwball comedy. I mean, of course this movie is. is definitely a
1: screwball.
2: Uh, co- I
1: mean, it is, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon, it, but it's a cartoon that has this love of the grotesque. It's like a dash of gore that you add into a little things never like excessive never super bloody but a bit more and this is probably a wonderful coincidence that we're watching this a month after we watched the villain which was trying to be a live action cartoon right but i think was an an utter failure in a lot of ways because it it seemed to have no original dna in it where this one has this weird spark of creativity and strangeness and every time i think it's going to do something it does something i don't expect and that's
2: what makes it fa- – so what I say about this movie is that it's not a good movie, but it is a great movie.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I would, that's a I, great way to say and it. And I yep.
2: think that, like, yes, there are narrative problems. Yes, there are weird quick cuts, like the falling through the awning in the beginning. After the first <laughs> and it cuts and to him, him falling into, into the, the chair. <laughs> yeah. And I remember the first time I saw that, and I was like, wait. And then I rewound it, and I was like, did that just fucking happen? <laughs> I was like, all right, this is – I think this is going to be good. I think I'm fully on board with it. The knives in the... Bu- okay, I fell in love with those fucking things. I was like, how the... F-? I became oh, you're talking with about the, the Alfred the Butler Alfred character. Alfred the Butler with the, the spring-loaded knives
1: out of his sleeves. I yeah, was like, it's like switchblades the sides of small swords. And I'm being... I am, I am a giant soft spot for signature bizarre weapons. Yes, <laughs> yes.
2: And it's like, I just... To me, it's so... It speaks, something we talk about a lot is actors who take themselves too seriously and Mm -hmm. how it costs them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think Bruce Willis would eventually become that. He would become almost a parody of that. But here, it's so amazing to me to see this guy dressed in Saruti, right, like in this very style that is incredibly particular to the era right? in a hat us, that's been ruined loafers, by other people <laughs> right? Like in the like in the loafers with the white socks and the black wide leg slacks with the t-shirt tucked in like just having so clearly having a ton of fun yeah right yeah. like and he is not he doesn't always win he is the butt of the joke as often as he isn't and you get all these great little moments like when he sits that when he falls off the top of the bus into the chair in his date with annie and he's like hold hold on a second and he coughs and he just coughs out the chicken feathers, and he looks and he gives her this look like and she's just like no we're we're good i just it's so the
0: the first thing that i uh, that i mentioned on this is uh, that i after watching this and i think i saw the vhs last time so give me 25 years um how good Denny Aiello is. How you're oh just my like, God, he's how incredible. You're just like, oh, the chemistry is so
1: good between him and Bruce Willis. I, I, I would believe those guys are best friends in real life. Absolutely. Yeah. Just the way they play off each other, the in-jokes they have that feel very natural, the way they make fun of each other. Well, and it's funny because I act. I wanted to bring that up because
2: watching it this morning, because I watched it before I came here, I, I bought it on Amazon, so I'm like- okay. um, I thought the same thing. I'm like, he did not have to bring it as hard as he did, but he did Mm -hmm. like he is. And you remember, oh, this is why Danny Aiello was a great actor. This is why he's great in Moonstruck. This is why he's great in everything. He's great in the professional is because he's got chops and he brings them. And the way he switches back and forth and like, He's so
1: keyed into what this movie is. And that's the thing is everyone is really on board with the tone of this movie so well. And I with Danny Aiello, him and Bruce Willis in this movie, you know what they remind me of? they remind me of the sort of moments that you get in cinema where best friends appear in a movie and it clicks. Yeah, That's the thing is I don't know if, if him and Bruce Willis are friends in real life, but if you told me they were best friends, I'd believe you. And, like it reminds me of like Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy in coming to sure, America. Sure. Yeah. Or,
2: uh, um, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan in, uh, when Harry met Sally. Yeah. But, and the reason that feels so real is because Rob Reiner was going through a divorce And he was doing that with Billy Crystal. He would call Billy Crystal at night and they would fall asleep on the phone together because he was so like emotionally fucked up from the whole thing. And so they decided to put that in the script. And I think, yeah, like they really do. They have arguments like best
1: friends do. Mm They the way they interact and the I love moments the way of they insecurity play with, each with each other, each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and the, they said, you know, he's like, "Come on, man, you're really not that fat." They like build each other up in little moments, <laughs>
2: right? Yeah, like, but he's that? Yeah, looking good? Looking?" <laughs> I love it. I love that Danny Aiello is not a big dude, and he immediately starts picking on him <laughs> for it. And I also... there's,
0: there's a slight bit of gay panic at the beginning that uh, that I don't like, but it fairly well goes away. In fact, what I think it ends up transitioning to is. Um, the Sandra Bernhardt and Richard E. Grant character, who I think are just like delightfully sex-positive bi characters. So I, yes, I, I have yes, a yes, question so about the two of them. Awesome. That's
2: so good. But and I just to touch on that real quick. I I noticed that the first time too, but then also after the whole thing where uh Hudson realizes that Tommy has been brought in by the Mayflowers, right? right. And they get out of the ambulance at the the ruins. Tommy says I love you man right. right right like I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done this if I thought any of this would right. have happened right and I'm right. like that you don't get moments like that in the 90s yep that's true. where two straight men are saying I love you
0: right and it, it, like it would have gone the Bill and Ted's way which yeah, is absolutely. dropping the yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Uh, So the 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 villains of this movie ultimately the ultimate villains the Mayflowers Minerva Mayflower and Darwin Mayflower played by Richard E Grant and Sandra Bernhard played
2: a fucking amazing. So way.
1: this is the question I want to know and I want to know if you guys have different answers to this. Are they married or are they brother and sister? No, they're. I, I think they're married. I'd always thought that was the same thing too. I'd always been like, "Is this like a Lannister thing?" They just. I, I would believe it. I would. They feel like the sort of people that have like weird, like masked, like eyes white shut parties, and then they go out and hunt people on a private <laughs> island. And I think the fact that the movie makes you ask
2: that is really deft filmmaking, which is a weird way that, to describe this movie because if you watch it, it is definitely not necessarily deft filmmaking, yeah, there's, but like, there's there's not a lot. There's not a lot of
0: subtlety. No, there really isn't. But
2: I think that it's. Oh God, what was the? I was watching Nick Cage give an interview, and I can't remember if it was Renfield, which was uh, something of a disappointment, yeah. or 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 a different movie. But he was. They were like doing the scene, and the director stopped and came up to him and said, "That was really good, but can you go a, a little, like?" And you could tell. And Nick, and Nick was like, "I could tell he was struggling," and then he was like oh, you want the full cage. (laughs) And the director was like, yes, yes, that's what I want. And I'm like, yeah, Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhard and this are just, they are going at, they are going, they're at 11 which yeah. is where you want them to You'd be. You'd have
1: to come down a little bit to play the Joker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but
2: it's so good. And now, of course, we know this is what billionaires are actually like, right? <laughs> Yes, Yes. Like, and, and I think that
0: it's, I think it's really good. But because... not as fun, though. There's, no, not the, nearly as fun. The great part fun. about it not is, is in real fun. life, you get like an Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're the capital B villains. In fact, doesn't Richard E. Grant specifically say, I'm the villain? He's he like, I'm the yes. villain. Yes, <laughs> so he does. just spell it out for you. But just like, it, they're just cackling... He's and gonna torture you giddy. so
1: slow. You're gonna think it's a career. <laughs> I
2: just love where he's like, uh, where he's like. Uh, initially, it was important to keep layers between you and me, but seeing as though most of them are dead, I figured why the hell.
0: <laughs> but there's these funny little touches about the about the being this. They're so, uh, they're so evil. They're not. Well, they are. I guess they're evil. They're not actually really all that evil, except for maybe some of the bystanders. They blow up at the auction, which they abuse think, their butler pretty heavily. I, I, <laughs> I, I think though doesn't the auctioneer the super stuffy auctioneer guy doesn't he kind of just deserve to be blown up? <laughs> he's a war dog. He's, he's a war dog. He's, I mean, like, he's, he's like, so annoying. You're just like, can you make those that? Those are the stop little talking. bits
1: with the gore that I love, which is when he blows up. They blew up a dummy. Oh, you yes. see a leg uh, fly and, and an screen. arm. <laughs> you definitely see an arm with his shoulder still attached to. <laughs> they're
0: doing all of these funny things, like, and they add things like they're in. Um, the Mayflower's limousine and he gets a fax from one side yeah. and he picks up <laughs> and without looking at it passes it to the other side and puts it in a shredder and the shredder just like the paper comes out into the, uh, uh, the street. So yeah. This is like, so why good. is it there?
1: We don't know why. This is uh, just what a billionaire would do. On top of everything, we just have casual littering. <laughs>
2: oh, it's so good. I Every part of this movie is just so... um <laughs> it's just exactly what it needs to be. And, well, yes, I appreciate that there are, narratively, if somebody came up and said, oh, just, I couldn't watch this movie narratively, it didn't make sense, there was, you know, these really weird, you know, quick edits and, like, all these weird... Yeah, sh- the transitions
0: like- are stupid, like... uh they knock Bruce Willis out and then he suddenly he's like in Rome and you're like, well, they didn't need to have, they for this movie, they didn't have any real explanation. Right. But for another movie, you'd been like, what the fuck? Like, how did you just do that without setting it up?
2: well, and I think that, um, I think so just for the people that, that didn't watch it right very quickly. The plot of Hudson Hawk is, uh, Eddie, the Hudson Hawk is getting out of prison on his way out of prison. um, he is approached by his parole officer <laughs> that gives him a job, right, to steal something. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. He's like blackmailed. Yeah, he, essentially, yes. He goes, his partner, Tommy Two-Tone, picks him up and um, they take him to the bar that they co-own, which Hudson Hawk has discovered is now a yuppie hangout, which he does not <laughs> like. Um, and, and there he's approached by... The Mario family, right? The, Mario, the literal, literal, the, literal Mario, yeah, brothers. Mario brothers. The literal Mario brothers, yes. Uh, which, a nice little touch is when he says, directions even your brother could understand. He says it to Frank Stallone, uh, who may be better in this than he is in almost anything else he's ever been. He's in. better
1: in this than he is on Twitter.
0: I, I, I thought about this. I thought about that. I was thinking, like, when have I seen Frank Stallone in a place where he makes the most sense and... Have you got either of you seen Barfly, the Mickey yes, Rourke ones? Yes. Uh, so, Frank Stallone is the fucking asshole bartender, and his whole character exists so that at every opportunity when uh, when Bukowski is just over the line, he's just beating the shit out of Frank <laughs> Stallone. <laughs> he's, that's, that's the best part. It's like, I just want to see Frank Stallone get punched that's again. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair.
2: So, um, the mafia is like, you got to do this job, otherwise, we're going to put the hurting on you. Uh, that's when you discover that Hudson Hawk's method for timing things is songs, which I like. I think it's a really
1: cool touch. It's really awesome. At any given moment, you can name a song and you can tell you exactly minutes and seconds. Yes,
2: uh, uh, absolutely. So even though the songs that they sing largely are not, he gets the timing completely wrong. But (laughs) like, and then he steals, uh, you know, the, the job is to steal this horse statue made by Leonardo da Vinci. So he steals it and then... Uh, it's and Then it looks like he didn't steal it. He didn't steal it. It gets replaced with a fake. He meets Andy McDowell's ca- uh, character. Anna, at an auction, gets knocked out, wakes up in an ambulance where the Mario brothers are going to ostensibly murder him.
1: They Uh, own the ambulance. It says Mario on the side of the ambulance. Yes, it
2: does. It does. And also the whole scene where he catches the
1: cigarette and he takes
2: a drag and he's like, ooh, menthol. That is like a thing that lives rent free in my head.
1: This movie has these little weird – this is what I love about these little cartoon moments is that they – They threaten him. And by the way, the Mario brothers are literally just the weasels from Who Framed Roger. They absolutely are. And I
2: love that he wakes up and they're like talking shit to him. And he doesn't say anything. He just picks up that thing of syringes and puts it right into Caesar's face. It's just
1: all these syringes. And uh, And then later when they're about to crash, he pops into the front of the ambulance and he still has all the syringes in his face. it's so good. It's so good. And like the scene, he's on a
2: gurney on the Brooklyn Bridge. Which doesn't work geographically because of what happens later, but uh, uh, he's on a gurney racing down the Brooklyn Bridge, and this woman in his car next to him just goes, "Mister, are you gonna die?" <laughs> and it's like, it's those are the re- those little touches are the things that I love about this movie. Is that you could again, you could have made the decision to make this really super serious, and it would have been god awful. But because it just kind of, I think about. Um, Joel Schumacher making Batman and Robin and being like, remember, it's a cartoon. And I'm like, this is what he was trying to make. What he made was garbage, but this is what he was trying to make, right? Was this big cartoony world
1: which absolutely works for me on every level, yeah. and everyone's keyed into it. I think that the I think this is a movie that if you go into it expecting a die-hard kind of movie, you are not going to like it. Yeah. Oh, even if, if you're expecting like a last
0: action hero, or not I mean, um, last Boy Scout, which is also something that Bruce Willis got known for doing, which is like very masculine action comedy heightened reality action comedy like a macho
1: sarcastic right
0: but this is obviously so far outside of that yeah it has like
1: musical numbers in it it's got this like bizarre violent slapstick yes and if if you're willing to meet this movie where it's at i can see why an audience in 1991 was not into this oh god yes yes Um, absolutely like it's it's so strange and so utterly specific but if you just go you know what i'm gonna meet it where it's at and go that you can have a lot of fun watching again. Like I said, and like you said, I can't call this like a forgotten, like maligned masterpiece, but it is so super fucking watchable. It is. It is incredibly watchable. And I think it is
2: it's shot beautifully. It's written. Fantastic. I mean, when, uh, when, when, I mean, James l- Goldberg- let's,
0: let's, uh, let's adjust expectations when uh, they're at the beginning of the museum. There are two security guards talking with each other and one of the secure guards looking through the white pages of the phone book and he goes "Oh, did yeah. you know there are 607 wongs? That's a lot of wong numbers. I love that scene though
2: because if you think about other jokes that were being made at that time it would have been a hell of a lot more problematic than right. that's a hell of a lot of wong numbers. I'm like
1: oh just a dad joke right in the middle of fucking for no reason and like, it's funny. I like that the guards aren't completely incompetent. Yes, They figure out because they do the classic cat burglar trick if you break into the room with all the security camera footage and you cycle it back so you're watching a rerun of where it used to be these two guards play a prank on a fat guard who by the way this is a rookie fucking mistake if you're gonna sleep on the job you do not do it right in front of a camera
2: Absolutely, not. Absolutely not. but he's the one that ends up actually he get the thing I love about that is that they're making fun of him but it subverts the trope because he's the one that runs by them and goes come on you're making us look bad
1: right like, but it's like they recognize they make him fall off his chair and he breaks it but then they notice in the footage that that hudson hawk and danny aiello the set chair, up right the chair is still there yes. but i do love that that the fat guard is the one who's who's more on the ball yes and the absolutely. guys that pranked him but i i really kind of dig i dig how that sort of stuff is sort of set up and also then later when he's trying to rob the vatican museum there is an identical fat guard with a mustache again <laughs> that's also there. but I this is the things I just kind of dig about this movie. these strange little coincidences. um, there is a mutter of moment of just like transcendent genius that flowed over me where I felt like, the possibilities of the future of my life opened up. And it's this moment where a security guard opens his thermos and he's got spaghetti in it. Oh, right. Yes. So the funny thing is that...
2: And I'm like, the other guard... You mean I could have been
1: doing this the whole time? The other guard is like, he's saying,
2: Pomodoro de uh, del San Marzano. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, what he's saying in that scene is, "I'm oh, I made this sauce with San Marzano tomatoes. The, the good tomatoes. Right, yeah, like the tomatoes, because that's... Um, uh, San Marzano tomatoes are tomatoes that come from a region in Italy, and they're uh, they are they're really good. It gets a lot of sun, which is what the, you want for the, the volcanic tomatoes. soil. Um, yeah. yeah. But yep. so um, I thought that was a nice little touch. <laughs> just like These guards are just like, oh, I'm going to give you some of my special sauce. It's really good. You like it. You like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I also love Pokey. Pokey. Oh, <laughs> the little girl just beating the elephant into the fucking banister. And then he just flies into the... And then she's like... Uh, where, uh, 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 Andy McDowell is asking about it and he's like, oh, that kooky little elephant. <laughs> I just... I love... There are so many little moments like that when George Kaplan reveals himself, and he's like, oh, "I call them the MTVIA," and <laughs> then Almond s- Joy is like, like "George, you oh. pro- you promise no old CIA, <laughs> new CIA <laughs> jokes." Oh, it's like. <laughs> Writing is not that good in movies
1: today, right. for the most part. Oh,
0: so I, to get James Coburn to I, do it, his I, voice is amazing. Oh, it's so good. I fucking love
1: James Coburn, for it's me, so is the good. MVP of this movie. He plays right. this oh, like, CIA op. So good. Who is such a delightfully gleeful like government God. murderer. I did my first barehanded strangulation here. Communist <laughs> politician. Communist <laughs> politician. Oh, I love it. I miss the oh. red threat. Oh, <laughs> I love it. He's like, I, I actually wrote this line down. God, I miss communism. <laughs> the red threat. People were scared. <laughs> Oh, the agency had some respect <laughs> and I got, I got laid, 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 every laid every night. night. So <laughs> He's just, he is, he gets this movie. And I love the way every time the CIA guys with the candy bar themed like nicknames come in, they always have this bizarre, surrealist kind of like entrance. And it reminds me so much as an episode of The X Files where the men in black show up and it's like Jesse Ventura and Alex Trebek. And they're intentionally bizarre so that if you ever tried to tell somebody what you experienced, they wouldn't believe you. <laughs> yes, yes. So, like, one of these guys enters through, like, an outhouse. Somebody rappels oh, down. God. <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
0: We, we've got to talk about the David Caruso character. Yes, Kit Kat. Kit Kat, who is a mute. But it's like the master of disguise, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't do, he, it's the first, so good. The first it's card so good. he hands him
1: is "This is not a dream. Yep. My name is Kit Kat." <laughs> and then he gives him a good old neck chop. <laughs> he can't do better than a neck chop. He disguises oh. himself. He he mimics the body language of Bruce Willis at one point. He disguises himself as a statue at one point. <laughs> I just
2: the scene in the phone booth when they're in Rome. And 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 Hawk has come out of the phone booth and he's talking to George Kaplan and Kaplan does his little monologue about how he misses the red thread. And then they're all walking away and they're all showing him his guns too like don't try anything. And then it cut the camera cuts back to him and Kit Kat is walking out of the phone booth somehow. <laughs> and then there's they're doing the like the gesturing and the yelling in in unison. And I'm like, that must have been so hard to do because they do it in like it's it's yeah. incredible that they're doing it in
1: unison. I just That's the thing with this movie is that there's so many ways that if you imagine a bad version of this movie and I think for a lot of critics this was the bad version, but imagine a movie a version of this movie that could have existed and it's way cheaper, it's way lazier. It wouldn't have these little details. It wouldn't have filmed in Rome. No. Yeah. It, no. it would have made I mean the elaborate like trap that comes down if you try to steal the da vinci codex it's like this multi-level it's like a wedding cake of cages <laughs> yes, that comes down on it i'm this is the thing that i love is that the elaborate way that he steals the codex and you see him just and he's walking around the museum and he writes down this laundry list of strange things and you're like olive oil of many fishermen um Postage. A hundred posters. Hundred stamps. <laughs> and you're just like, and I just love it. And, and George Kapp was like, Snickers, make that list happen. Yeah. And I just love, what I love is that all of these things come in and they don't really highlight each individual one. He just does it without any commentary. And you're like, what is the olive oil for? And it's like, you see him messing with the mirrors earlier and you see him make this elaborate thing that just blocks all of the weird guard lasers.
2: Yes. And I think this is. Really, one thing this movie does so well is it shows. It doesn't tell us. There's not a ton of exposition. There's no scene where somebody takes Hudson Hawk aside and goes, All right, this is exactly what's happening. Like you get that scene where Kaplan introduces himself and he's like, I'm the one that tricked you into robbing the government installation. <laughs> That's all you Matthews need. Sent prison for it. It's yeah. like, well, we don't need yeah. a back we don't need a fifteen minute fucking flash. So, so the only this
0: is the great part, I forgot this. That the uh, the the best bit of exposition is the very beginning because you think that you're like in Princess Bride or something because you open oh, up yes, an illuminated yes, manuscript yes. and there's like a 15, a 10 minute section where it's Leonardo da Vinci in his workshop figuring out how to construct this machine and you're like, what other movie is going to do this? Right, going to spend time making the Wacky Adventures of Da Vinci. I gotta say, this is one of my
1: favorite little tropes that you see in a lot of sort of pseudo-historical science fiction, which is that we take this real-life historical figure and we recontextualize them as like a renaissance steampunk, like, super wizard. Yes, (laughs) yes. I
2: also love that, like, he's painted the Mona Lisa. It is way bigger than the actual Mona Lisa is, and everything is perfectly done except the mouth because that's definitely the way that they painted, right? Yeah, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever but also everybody is like, why is she smiling? Because models don't smile when they get painted, right? It's like, I just it's all those little touches that are like it knows what it is. The movie knows what it is. But it's
1: like it's like solo a Star Wars story for Leonardo da Vinci because everything that he's famous for is happening all at once.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. That was yes. Yeah, the absolutely. helicopter model
1: and you've got the super gold machine, and then you've got the flying machine.
2: I thought it was so it was really funny because Friday night I went and saw uh Dial of Destiny. Oh, and then I watched Ooh. Hudson Hawk, and I was like, I'd "Much rather be watching Hudson Hawk." I, I, <laughs> so I enjoyed, I enjoyed Dial of Destiny largely because um I, there are certain kinds of nostalgia that I am not immune to, even though I think I'm immune to a lot of them. This but, is that Garfield? You're not immune to propaganda posters. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that um, I did think I, I I did think it was a little too long. I think it needed to be edited a little bit. Uh, By half an hour. I think, yeah, I think it would have been good coming in right at at two hours. I thought Phoebe Waller-Bridge was amazing in it. And you know what? I'm a sucker for the whole end scene. But it was so funny to me that I went from that, which is about somebody very good, at what they do that uses unorthodox methods to succeed, tracking down the work of an ancient, uh, uh, you know, an, genius. an, an ancient genius yep. that would change the course of history using basically magic disguised as science. And I'm like, oh, w- wait, what? <laughs> this is Hudson Hoss. <laughs> <Hawk's. laughs> well, it's the same, yeah, it's the same, right? And also being uh, chased by uh, uh, a ridiculously evil person with an accent. I, that was one thing. Is is
0: is is this
1: influenced by Raiders of the Lost Ark? Do you, this has to be at some. There's a some, bit of Raiders. Sense. There's a bit of Bond. There's a lot of those old cat burglar stuff. There's a lot of the rat. Yeah. Pack.
2: There's like a lot of um. Uh. What's the, Greg uh, arabesque? Uh. Or like um. What's the one with Audrey Hepburn that I can't remember? Uh.
1: To Catch a Thief.
2: There's a lot of the
1: original um, Ocean's Eleven in this. And there's a lot of
2: James Bond in here, too, right? With, like, the butler with the ridiculously specific weapon. It's, like, like, such an
1: inspector gadget weapon. It really is. It's great. It's great. But the thing is, again, a lazy movie wouldn't build that apparatus for that actor. No. And that's what I love is this movie is weirdly ambitious. It absolutely is, and it really is Is this a blank check movie? Is this somebody? I, oh in? it
2: this is absolutely a blank check movie.
1: It is absolutely a blank
2: check movie because he makes Die Hard the year before or Die Hard Two the year before. And I Layman think. did Heathers. And which was, a, like, it, which, yeah. was which was a uh, huge and I think they share kind of a sense of humor where it's a little dark and right. a little Right um the part where Ig and Ook get shot and each one is like, hey, ooh. <laughs> oh, Which I didn't catch very, that. <laughs> they absolutely do it. It's fantastic. I also love that the way he kind of escapes them in the museum is he drops an arm on the floor <laughs> on the stairs and then runs away. Then that's a blink if that's a blink and you'll miss it moment, but like he right. actually just drops a fake arm on the stairs and everybody's like, Oh my god. And then he just <laughs> runs up the stairs and they're like trying to get through. Um but yeah, I, I I think it it absolutely is, and I think it's very counter to me when I think of the reputation Bruce Willis has in movies now and for the last twenty years, right? Uh, that stoic and hyper serious, yeah, and just kind of an asshole, <laughs> like not yeah. somebody that's fun to work with, right? And like Kevin Smith talks about working with him on Cop Out or whatever the movie they made together yeah. was, and how what a nightmare it was, and I just think to myself. He didn't. Have, this is clearly something that meant a lot to him. It's something that came from him. Like you don't get this movie today. No. No matter how big a star Bruce Willis is, you do not get this.
0: There's too much. There's way Whimsy. too much. Well, I'm, there's. I, do, but I was going to say. I guess uh, the only. I'm trying to think of an. I'm trying to think of successful actor cashes in. And does the shit that they like. The only thing I can think of is like Riddick. Where it's yeah. just like Vin Diesel right. does will do these movies because uh, he'll get Universal to make, get him to make another Riddick movie. But you with look David at, you
1: look at Vin Diesel and you see somebody who really didn't want to do Fast and the Furious. He wanted to do Riddick. He wanted to do Triple X. Right. And what he ended up doing is folding all the Triple X and all the Riddick stuff into Fast into and into Fast
2: and Furious. Right. But if you think about it. Who's, I mean, yeah, Fast and Furious is a franchise that makes a ton of money, so of course they've got some some name brand people, but who the fuck's in Riddick? Yeah. Who's in Perfect Dark? They're, I mean, like, you have people that went on to be a lot more to do other things, but, like, you're not getting an A-list cast eight deep.
1: No. You know, you know what, in a in a blank jack vanity project now. You know what Bruce Willis's career kind of strangely reminds me of? And this is going to be sound strange, but it's Will Smith, where you look at the screen persona that both of these guys had at the, the height of their career, which was it's a it's a funny, sarcastic everyman who is cooler than you. He's tougher and braver than you, more capable than you. But he's enough of a dork that you could imagine being his friend. I uh, know I agree because when so the whole thing was I can't remember who was
2: originally supposed to be in Die Hard but it wasn't him because no. he was like this kind of heartthrob comedy guy believe it or not it was Sinatra yes, over so, contracts yeah initially, yeah initially it was and they had to yeah I remember that but um that would have been like dial of destiny oh god it would have been it would have been you know what i like that they gave phoebe waller bridge a lot of the bigger action pieces in that sure. movie and they didn't try to f- just half-ass i like that you he's don't kind want to kill doddering. harrison Ford. yeah i like through most of that movie he's just kind of doddering around and trying to keep up and i really enjoyed that but yeah i it, think you could have cut out the whole part with antonio banderas it was nice to see him but i don't think that really added mm. but you look at like
1: know. uh you look at where will smith and bruce willis went they both went to hyper serious kind of whispery talking quiet yes and it's just like that's not really what i i want well
2: they both came out of really insanely successful
1: sitcoms
2: into movies and then they both had a movie that kind of blew them up and made people go wow this person has chops and i think for will smith it was six degrees of separation and for for Bruce Willis, it was Die Hard. Yeah. And, like, I love those Die Hard movies. I think they're great, the first three. I don't acknowledge any after that. <laughs> Come fight me about it. I don't care. But because the
1: later ones have that later Bruce Willis persona. Which is, and, it, you know, you start making them PG,
2: and you start trying to do this shit that they did in, like, the early 2000s I, where you were trying to get the max, cast the widest net possible. I
0: love that this movie is unapologetically R-rated. R-rated, yes. yes. That
2: is another thing this, I And love. silly.
0: Yeah, it's it's silly. It's got those, those gore moments, and there's, like, one of the things that made me laugh out loud was I think it was during the Brooklyn Bridge chase. I think he's like, call 1 <laughs> like, 800, fuck you, go how, fuck yourself.
2: Like my dri- How's my driving? Call 1 800, I'm gonna fucking die. <laughs> yes. One of my, just, another thing that just lives like, free.
0: Oh, it's, it's great. And, it, and if it were a PG 13 movie, they would only be able to do it once, you know,
1: and yeah. it just wouldn't be as good. Yeah. And everybody's got a potty mouth. It's great. Yeah, but this movie's also challenging you to try to call bullshit on it at all times, and they'll sometimes head you off at the pass. Like, at the end, you think Danny Aiello dies. Like right. He's in an oh inescapable a death situation. He's trapped in the back of a limousine that has this, like, suction cup bomb missile attached to it. <laughs> um, he's locked in. It drives off this massive cliff and then explodes in mid-air, and how does he explain when he shows up covered oh, and so in soot at the end?
2: good. It's so he's like, good. hey, it
1: had airbags, and there's a sprinkler system in the back. <laughs> (laughs) No, wait, Mike, Mike, give the line the gravitas it deserves. It is, it's great. Airbags, do you fuck airbags? Do you you fucking believe believe it? (laughs) But why weren't
2: you blown up into a bunch of fiery chunks? Sprinkler system set up in the back. Do you fucking believe it? And then Bruce Willis is lying, he's like, yeah, that's that's probably probably what what happened. happened. (laughs) And I think that is the thesis for this whole fucking movie. he's like, fuck it. And it also makes it, if you think about the movie as being told out of this manuscript as being told from somebody to somebody else all these really weird edits and the weird cartooniness of it totally makes sense because that's what you do when you are telling a myth to somebody right. is you jack up everything right. to 10 and you make it sound it's a it's a fish story right like right and that is what that's why i love that it. it ends at that and then he finally gets I love the through line of the cappuccino. I think that's something else that movies don't do right (laughs) Right. anymore, which is like, this is a common theme throughout the movie. He comes so close to getting it. And then like, it gets spilled in the car. It gets uh, shot. It gets shot. And then the fucking machine breaks and then he gets poisoned. (laughs) And it's like, and then finally at the end, it's like, This was the real quest is all he's wanted since he got out of prison was a fucking cappuccino and he finally gets it at the end. It's very satisfying in a way. Nothing Marvel has done since Endgame has been as satisfying as Hudson Hawk. I'm going to say it. It hasn't been as good. I would watch this movie 20 times in a row before I would watch most of those movies again. But it is because... It it knows what it is, and it is not trying to be something it
0: isn't. All right, so here is my, this is my big question for both of you guys, which is um, we have an appreciation for this movie, not because probably most of us saw this in our teens, um, but of course it's got these people from this 90s era that are sort of packed into our formative years. Someone who's a 22-year-old uh, kid who probably has never seen a Bruce Willis movie before, or maybe they've seen Die Hard before, and doesn't know the rest of this cast and doesn't get it. What are they going to take away from... What is a 22-year-old going to take away from this if they do not have that cushion of it being like,
1: my God, I love this time. I I think they are going to be kinder to this movie than critics were at the time. I think Mm -hmm. weird and and self-referential and silly and absurd is way more in and way more mainstream than it ever was back in the 90s where I think people were just mad that it wasn't their predecised thing I think that a lot of people are kind of used to a movie having a ton of lore in it too so I think it's silly it's kind of weirdly violent I think a lot of people will enjoy it I think that the the characters are likable and I think that a lot of younger people might really enjoy the friendship between the characters. I think it's also a lot less problematic in
2: a lot of ways. You know, I think even the, the very, cause I, I noticed that and I thought even then it was very slight gay panic because it's all on like Hudson is the one reacting. Tommy is like, I won't use tongue this time, which I'm like, (laughs) I think is again, just speaks to the realism of their friendship. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think it would probably go over pretty well. And I think the thing is, is because everybody in this movie is hot for the most part. Sure. Right? Like Probably not the parole
1: officers. Not the parole officer, <laughs> no. Who
2: is in something? I think is actually in Bonnie and Clyde. He's in something know. else. I can't remember. But, like, um, yeah, I think that, like... For the most part, I think the complaints you would get is what the what the fuck is happening? I don't I don't understand why, how we're here from here. Right. But right. yeah, I don't think when you look at like when you go back and look at Bill and Ted, which is such a wholesome movie and then it has this really mm. this F bomb, that I'm sure everybody involved in that film just cringes when they think about it because it's otherwise just such a beautiful and wholesome movie. Um this doesn't have... They could have easily put that in there. They didn't. There's no F-bombs here. And I think also there's... Um, Anna saves herself, right? That's like a great scene sure, where where sure. after uh, Hudson and Kaplan fight on the roof and Kaplan jump kicks himself off the roof and he turns around and she comes out and he goes, Anna, we're here to rescue you. And she's like, yeah, but I got tired of waiting, so I rescued myself. <laughs> Which I think is very commando, right? Because, yeah. like, one of my favorite things, and uh, not to talk too much about it, because one day, before I die... <laughs>
0: Stay tuned. Well, one
2: day. Um, uh, I like that Anna has um, a personality. I like what she has agency. She Like, she has a relatively, like... She is better written than a lot of women now in
1: multi-million-dollar blockbusters. Yeah, she has shit to
0: do, and yeah. there's things about the char- her character that you learn later,
1: and you're like, oh, that's why. Oh I like the God. fact so that strange. she's constantly uh, she's like a Vatican spy, <laughs> but also a tour guide, and I like that yes. the, she's always talking through these crucifixes that blink oh, a light with every so syllable, good. like it's, it's so a Dalek. Good. It's so
2: so, and I love so that good. that
1: thing starts giving her a warning sign that they're about to be attacked by the candy bar guys, and in the In the in her apartment, and Bruce Willis, he goes, "Wow, Catholic girls are scary."
2: (laughs) That's I also like when she goes to meet after she poisons him. She goes to meet with Kaplan in the candy bars, and she's wearing this incredible red dress. Andy McDowell, one of my one of my first crushes in like the eighties and nineties. And then Kit Kat comes out and he's wearing the fucking red dress, right? And he's wearing the wig and it's great. And I love the commitment to the bit. I think it's so good.
0: So of the things that I remembered from the first go round, I definitely remember um, the two sequences of them singing. And getting, you know, getting stopped and side by side, you know, like, I yes. think that was a great, it's, it's goofy, it doesn't belong there, it's just like it suddenly becomes a musical, a two-part musical where Daniel and Bruce Willis are singing.
1: And they're using a gun from, like, a video game. Right. Yes, <laughs> they
0: are. Which is
1: never explained
0: where they're getting ammunition from. So is so, uh, so like a GoldenEye thing, right? It shoots, like, timed mines. <laughs> it's like it's so up. good. It's, yeah. I love it. Um, the second thing that I remember was that this, mu- this was pr- definitely part of... Casey's young psychosexual awakening, Sandra Bernhardt, as just like the, like the total, the vamp, as the, and she's, I didn't realize it, and I was like, she is so weird, everything about her performance is so totally weird, but that just like, That thing that her and Richard E. Grant basically have, which is just like, we're going to fuck after this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 And the fact that you have, what do they have? They're looking at a videotape or something, and it's like both of them in fetish gear. So
2: they're showing Hudson the, he's like, you can't prove anything. And they're showing him like footage from him breaking into the museum and stealing, uh, stealing the Sforza uh the still horse statue. And then it's like and then it's got their whole movies in there. Yeah. And they're both wearing lingerie, and then he's like, oh, those <laughs> aren't supposed to be on here. Richard E. Grant, who now is on TikTok and recently lost his wife and just oh posted these like heartbreakingly beautiful meditations on like love and grief and things and then to see him being Dar- darwin mayflower where he's just so over the top and like fucking evil and amazing and just like he wants
1: you to see every single uh, one of his teeth at all times So good and
2: they have in the same way that uh bruce yeah. willis and and, uh, and uh, danny aiello have great chemistry uh, darwin and minerva have incredible right. chemistry together they play off each other so well and also, Bunny Ball Ball. Bunny,
0: Bunny Ball Ball. <laughs> Ball. Bunny we'll Bunny the, Ball. We'll let the let our listeners discover that for themselves.
1: The final Bunny Ball Ball is the one image of this movie that I remember from being thirteen it's years old. So good, <laughs> so
2: good. The the things I remembered the most when I watched it again the first time in my adulthood was how's my driving? Call one eight hundred. I'm gonna fucking die, <laughs> which I just thought was so funny and still do. And I think yeah, Bunny Ball Ball and Alfred. Just the general, just Alfred and his
0: cool little James Bond wrist swords. My my memory totally corrupted because I thought that it was Charles Dance oh in in my and obviously because of last action hero mm-hmm. it got conflated but for, for whatever reason i was like oh the guy who says side with the sword or whatever that had to have been charles dance and so when it wasn't i was like oh
2: weird
1: okay my memory just more oh that, that would
2: comic. have made this that would have just catapulted this into the next level right
1: <laughs> so i guess that leads us to the the big final question maybe we've answered this question throughout the entire think, episode Yeah, i think we've spent the whole <laughs> episode <laughs> saying it yeah but is hudson hawk worth your time Oh, fucking absolutely. I mean, this is a movie that
2: has appropriate stakes in conflict and yet is totally fun. It is totally just a pick me up. Um, it might infuriate you. I don't know. Like, I, I'm i totally one of these people that watches movies sometimes that people think are great. <clears throat> and um, I'm like, I just didn't get it or whatever. Uh, but uh, to me, it's just. It's like a it's like a quarter pounder from McDonald's, right? Yeah. It's like it's junk food in the best possible form, is right? It's a bean burrito from Taco Bell at twelve thirty after you've had like five or six beers, and you just you know exactly what you want. Hudson Hawk is going to just fill that. It's just gonna fill that spot for you. It's just I, so I think it's good.
0: a great hangout movie. I think that the I think the success of this movie, is, especially if your listeners are there, who you have friends that haven't seen it, to get four or five people together to watch it. I think it's riotously funny. It is. There are parts of it that are kind of groan worthy, like that. That's a lot of Wong numbers, and you're just like, oh my god, I can't believe rolling your eyes at that stupid shit. Um, and then there's stuff that is so surprising and so ridiculous, and you're just like, I can't. That's so audacious that yes. they got that they got away with it. That they were just like, you know, um, who was it? was it tr- Columbia, you know, Columbia paid for them to go to Rome to film <laughs> all this shit there, you I, know? I
2: think audacious is a really good word. If you, we talk a lot uh, between ourselves and in the Discord about the movies of yesteryear and things like practical effects and shooting on location. Right. And these movies that were the vision of one person. Mm-hmm. And that don't largely get made on that scale anymore. And if you miss all that shit, Hudson Hawk is a movie you're going to love. And it is riotously funny, I think.
1: I I do, too. The the ambition of this movie, I think, is something I don't expect. Um, Because this movie, it lives under this dark cloud of like a pre-internet meme of hudson hawk is the ultimate bad movie yeah failure just it was abject failure right it was a flop i don't think anyone can really
0: over it's it's not quite a leonard part six but it's in the orbit of that right But
1: yeah there was like this this like mount rushmore of low-hanging fruit jokes that late night comedians would tell where they would list off a bunch of bad movies and everyone would laugh and nobody in the audience had actually seen any of these right, movies. Right. It's like Morbius is the modern equivalent. Right, <laughs> right. That all and the jokes about Morbius are about the, the, the trailer to Morbius. They're not right. about actually seeing Dude, Morbius. Morbius right. And I think that that's what happened with Hudson Hawk, except Hudson Hawk is a lot of fun to watch, and Morbius is boring as better, fuck. Better than Morbius, <laughs> better, than, uh, better than Eternals better yeah.
0: than uh i i, I paused because uh, i had to use the loo uh and um 30 th- their first 30 minutes i didn't wasn't was not even thinking about time at all i was just like so immediately in Engaged, locked in, and going with this movie. It's incredible how fast it moves, yeah, and how like, much you enjoy being in the movie. And you're not lulled to sleep where they have to stop and do a bunch of fucking. Exposition. There's times where you yeah.
1: you do have to pause, like you said, use a bathroom, and you think you're 10 minutes in, but you're like 35 minutes. It's in. the right.
2: opposite of the suicide effect where you've been watching that movie for your entire life, and then you pause it and you find out you're only halfway through, and then you seriously think, how much
1: more would I have to drink to get alcohol so I have to finish this? But yeah, this movie is—it's just a fucking—it's a ride. It's a ride, and but also like when you have the scene where you see the big Da Vinci machine, it's this room-sized steampunk monstrosity with mirrors and crystals, and this big opening in the ceiling where a beam comes down and splits it into a rainbow <laughs> of e color. Richard
2: Grant is humping the air, <laughs> yes. full on elbows <laughs> pumping, hips. in oh my Full God. sway. The, but
0: the, the Mayflowers get the best death they ever <laughs> oh so my. good it's definitely a James so Bond death I mean, yes James it Bond absolutely Lee. is
1: but yeah. it's like you think about how cheap that and small that machine would look like in a really lazy movie yes and yes. this is not that this is the way it would almost look like in a Marvel movie how big this machine how made the gears and everything and it spins and it moves and it's not just it isn't like a it isn't a Roger Corman version of this thing and yeah I love you Roger Corman <laughs> but it doesn't have that same kind of Golden Globus cheapness to it that can be a charm. But in this one, you're like, oh, shit, they spent money on this. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. Um, uh, this is a canon movie if there was money behind a canon movie. movie. Right. But yeah, you just I mean, there's great chemistry. There's great performances. I think everyone is totally keyed in. My God, James Coburn just ah. loves being a government assassin.
2: And he it, knows what movies, that's what's great about him. He knows what movie he's in.
1: It's just, there's so much chewed on scenery and it's it's so much fun to watch. So I got to say, this movie is absolutely worth your time. Yeah. That even if you don't think it's this, I wouldn't say this is a lost masterpiece, but this is a lost, really fun movie. I
2: think, I consider this movie
1: insane, like like you brought up The Thing and like The Fog,
2: we're not... Did not do very well critically upon their first release. Joe versus the Volcano Volcano, is another movie I think that that went under, that re-under or underwent underwent, uh, a critical (laughs) appraisal. Like, uh, what's his face? Uh, Ebert, you know, revisited Joe versus the Volcano. Right. right. I was wrong. That movie's fucking great, by the way. That movie is fucking great. And uh, it would make a very good double feature with with Hudson Hawk. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I I think Hudson Hawk is absolutely worth an afternoon like invite a few friends over have a couple drinks or a couple sodas or order some pizza and just just prepare yourself for the ride because it's a
1: lot of fun so joe preddy from the late and departed and dearly missed view from the gutters comic book podcast thank you so much for joining thank you thank
2: thank you thank you i this this was a, a dream come true for me i i feel
0: like uh, it's what we do here at Radio vs. the Martians, uh, making make dreams, dreams come, come true. true. <laughs> I feel like this
2: makes up for having to talk about sabotage.
0: <laughs> oh, we don't, no, we're, you're not, we're, you're not, oh, we've but, not, not been made whole yet. Okay. Oh, but Joe, we're going to keep and then, recording and talk about Sabotage, sabotage 2. You no, know? <laughs>
2: no, 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 no. I feel like uh, Sabotage 2, <laughs> sabotage Um Sabotage. I feel like uh, this is a movie I've wanted to uh, uh, talk about with y'all for a while. It's, it's definitely one of my favorite movies,
1: so thank you. Thank you all for having me, because I love being here. Thank Welcome. you. Thank you so much, Joe. And a big, big special thank you to our episode sponsors. Thank you to Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Dan Nydecker, Zuri Russell, Steelwolf, Sterling Taylor, Wim the Belgian, Misa the Barbarian, Jem Newman, Carol and Dave Brulette, Calzone, Matt Weber, Kaylin, Jeff Nathan, Christopher Allen, McDowell Horn, B. Campbell, and Splurbs. Thank Yay, you. Splurbs! <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Splurbs. <laughs> if you want to become an episode sponsor, please go to patreoncom radio versus the Martians or click the big green button on radio versus the Otherwise, folks, we will see you next month. Radio
0: versus the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobiah Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield-Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online... At RadioVersusTheMartians.com.
2: Well, that said, the last ingredient in the recipe is da Vinci's model of a helicopter.
0: On display for three days only at the Louvre in Paris.
2: As opposed to the Louvre in Wisconsin? Shut
0: up. You're going to make me lose my place. You're going to have to go in at night. The security will be overwhelming.
1: 12 guards. Oh,
0: ho, 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 OK, time out. I choose not to accept the assignment, Mr. Phelps. Put me in jail. Put me in time. In jail, you
1: asshole. Our foot soldiers will blow your brains out. Bunny,
2: Bob, Bob. <laughs> I'll torture you so slowly, you'll think it's a career. I'll kill your friends, your family, and the bitch you took to the prom. Patty Joe Bajarski? I can get you an address on that if you want.